It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The New York Jets select Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaul11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a very special guest today, former NFL fullback, second team all decade in the 2000s, three-time Pro Bowl, two-time All-Pro, the list goes on and on. Tony Richardson. Tony, how you doing today? You know, well, I'm doing great, man. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's beautiful to, to to be alive and kicking and everything else. But, uh, <laughs> no, I think, uh, yes, this is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm excited to have you on, obviously, as a, you know, Jets fan growing up, it, you know, whether it was playing Madden, you were a perennial 99 overall guy and you and Lorenzo, <laughs> you and Lorenzo Neal was, a, was always a must draft in fantasy, but. Um, you know, you know, it's cra- you know, crazy. So now, you know, like I never knew that my rating was that high. You know, like my, my nephews are like, Uncle Tony, Uncle Tony, you're like a 99 word now. Like these guys, like they have <laughs> Madden watch parties and ratings. And I'm like, dude, you got what you come. I'm a, I was a 99. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those cool things. It's only so many people have ever done that. So, you know. You can just, you, it's you and, you know, a handful of guys, which is pretty awesome. But obviously you spent some time, you play with a lot of great players. I wanted to start you off with some current Jets stuff and then we'll get to some fun stuff. But, you know, Jets, um, you were kind of, a, you were part of this and you were, you know, with the Jets in your career, young, new, exciting defensive coach comes in to try to change the culture a little bit. Um, rookie quarterback. What do you, what is the, you know, challenge going to be for the Jets this year? Um, it's a lot of exciting things happening with Salah, Zach Wilson, but what are some of the challenges going to be, you know, with a, with a young roster and new head coach? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just um, staying patient. Um, I was fortunate to go, Eric Coleman and myself, we went to, uh, um, we did a welcome back to the fans at the stadium. And so they had a scrimmage and, you know, it was 15, I close 15 to 17,000 people that showed up to a, to a green and white, <clears throat> green and white scrimmage. But, you know, the thing about it is I think the expectations are so high. I mean, because, like you said, a new head coach, um, obviously Joe Douglas and some of the moves he's made, I thought they drafted well, a new quarterback. So there's a lot of excitement in the air, but you also have to realize that it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, so much so that uh, I actually left, for, I guess, around halftime of the scrimmage and I got home. And by the time I got home, um, someone had tweeted, like, Zach Wilson had two interceptions and he had a terrible – I'm like, listen, <laughs> he's a rookie. Uh, defense is always ahead of offense in, in, uh, in preseason. So I'm like, take your time. Like the kid's going to be very good, if not great, but understanding that he's still a rookie and it's going to take time. It, um, 
you know, so it's not going to happen overnight. And the beautiful thing is I live in Long Island City and directly out of my window, uh, I live across the street from the firehouse. And so I walk my dog. I got a dog named Rambo. And when I'm walking Rambo down the street, every single day, the firefighters are like, yo, T-Rich, how you doing? What's the Jets going to do? I'm like, oh, we're going to be great. Go out there on a Tuesday. Hey, T, I'm like, dude, you just asked me this yesterday. Hey, be patient, be calm. It's, it's, it's going to happen. But that's a beautiful, like you said, you're a Jets fan, so you understand it. But I think the, the optimism is, is high. But I just also want to understand the biggest challenge is just understanding that um, it's not going to happen overnight. And it's just going to, like, you got to continue to keep uh, keep building. So, you know, kind of building off of that, obviously, the culture, um, you know, basically since you, since you, you know, retired has been, um it's not so good right and it's it's you know it's been different at coaches and you've seen guys go other places and be successful like a, you know Todd Bowles maybe not was as successful as a coach but you know he's been an exceptional defensive coordinator obviously got the new three-year contract and things like that so yeah. what's you know being a guy that was known for like le- your ability but also leadership and, and kind of stabilizing a room how difficult is that going to be for you know for Robert Sal because it's always been negative, and now it's like he's trying to bring this positive, upbeat attitude, brick by brick. He keeps getting quoted saying, "You know, they're trying to build a house, you know, yeah. day by day." How difficult of a challenge is that? But also, what are some things you think that he's been able to bring that's going to be able to change that culture, um, you know, progressively throughout this year going forward? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is attitudes. I think with with attitude and obviously talent uh, and hard work, good things happen. And so I think that's the thing that he brings is energy. Um, all, all was it all gas no brakes and so uh and everyone's loving it so that's the thing about it. i think his approach to not only just to football but his approach to life like you know when i hear him talk about his family when i hear him talk about things that he's passionate about when i hear him talk about his brother um who was in the uh in the towers you know you those kind of things that you hear about it's like you know what he he brings the best out of people and also he builds you up and that's a beautiful thing like you know, everyone would always, you know, look at him when he was with the 49ers and like he's running out on the field, he's high, high five guys, he's chest bumping, but those that, that's contagious. And that that that's what that's what it takes to to not only be a winner on the field, but also a winner in life. Uh Eric Coleman and I actually did kind of make a comment though, is because Eric obviously does the um, you know, some of the radio and TV stuff for the Jets. You know, the biggest thing that that the challenge is gonna be, there's just not a lot of veterans. And so, you know, when I came into the National Football League in '94. You know, you always had that, you know, Bill Bates, you know, when I was with the Cowboys, who was, a you know, nine times, you know, uh, ninth year, 10th year guy, special teams guy, great locker room guy. You had the backup offensive lineman who was probably like in year eight, year nine, year 10. You know, you had the long snapper who's been playing like Kendall Gammon, you know, 14, 15 years. And so that's the biggest challenge I think that just are facing is just the NFL has just changed. You know, they, you don't have that, those veteran leaders of, you know, even if they're not a starter, but the guy who can kind of, you know, set the tone and, and talk to the young guys and those kind of things. So what happens is a guy is in his third year and all of a sudden he becomes the leader because he's a high paid guy on the team. And that's, you know, it's, it's kind of tough. And so I think the biggest thing is, you know, uh, the biggest challenge for, uh, for coach is just bringing in the right guys and guys that can lead the organization and lead the team because he can only, you know, the coach is going to give you the message, but it takes the players to pass on that message to, cause the coach, he can't be everywhere. He can't be in the locker room all the time. He's not in the dinner meetings, you know, after curfew and all those kind of things where guys are actually talking and those kind of things. And so, you know, the biggest challenge I think is just, um, well, I don't even look at it as a challenge. I just think it's an opportunity for him just to bring in the right people, uh, continue that message and that positivity and also hoping that, that guys buy in. Yeah, no, I, I was thinking about that a lot. I was, Bryce Huff mentioned how much he's, 
you know, Carl Austin's been such a huge influence on him 10 days into practice of just like this guy's been there and done that in the NFL. And he's only been, he's only 25 years old, but (laughs) you know, that's it at this day and age, like you don't see, you know, you're not going to see as many of those different guys. And I know obviously it's something that was a huge factor for, you know, you and your career, but just going forward, we'll see how that, you know, that kind of lack of a ton of veterans, especially in the quarterback room. I, you know, there's nobody that's taken an NFL snap, but now they have Josh Johnson, which I think it's not about necessarily to your point, can Josh Johnson go win games in, in New England? It's, can he tell show guys day in and day out how to be a professional, how to exactly. go about their work and, and things like that? So I'm interested to see how that goes. One one other question, you know, before we get into some more of the other stuff, but this kind of relates to your career. The fullback positions obviously change is you know when it from when it first became a real thing, and you know obviously throughout your career and the way it is now, and obviously there's much fewer, you know, high level fullbacks I believe than you know when I was growing up and you were playing. This offense is one offense, and this scheme is one that does utilize it. You look at Kyle Juszczyk and maybe San Francisco is a guy that stands yeah. out to me. Travis Wesco is a guy that was a tight end, kind of fullback combo, and hasn't really fully taken off yet. Do you think it's going to be important for him to develop for this offense to be successful just with that wide zone run scheme and a lot of play action, stuff like that? How important do you think the emergence of a fullback in the tight end, I guess, position is for yeah, this offense? It's, it's so important, and I'm not saying this as a former fullback, but there's so many different things that you can do from that position. And so actually, uh, Hushek actually reached out to me over Twitter. Um, he did he did a piece on uh, NFL Network and he said that I was one of his favorite fullbacks. And I was, you know, and so he, when it was an opportunity for him to come to the Jets, I was like, dude, that would be incredible. But I was, you know, I me, was dying. I wanted that to happen so badly. <laughs> yeah. So, so for me, I'm like, you know, it, it, you know, it's interesting because even though, like you said, you don't really see a lot of fullbacks, but the teams that uh, are, you know, in the Super Bowl, in the playoffs, you know, year in and year out, when it gets to, you know, nut cutting time, if we say that's when the fullback starts to come around, you look at, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, um, they had a fullback, you know, you look at the 49ers, like they have a fullback, you know, even the Patriots, um, you know, they'll throw a fullback in there. Baltimore Ravens, when it gets nut cutting time, their fullback's about 290 and can uh, do, a, do a split. <laughs> that's a different story. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things. And so I think, you know, if there's an emergence, you know, if, if, and that's kind of tough because trying to put a tight end at fullback is difficult because they're not used to, you know, inline blocking, they can do it all day long. When you got to like find people in space, you know what I mean? That's different because then that, you know, that's the thing that I think that helped me in my career was just being able to be flexible and to find guys in space. Cause all of a sudden you got a safety coming down or, you know, in my career when I had to block guys like Junior Seau, who was so like quick and elusive, you know, a tight end can't do it because they're going to lay him. They're going to be sliding across and they're going to make the tackle in the backfield. So, yeah, so it's definitely for this style of offense, um, a fullback is definitely going to have to uh, emerge. Um, and, you know, hopefully someone to step up and, and take that position because there's, there's so many different things you can do. Like I love watching the 49ers play because all of a sudden, you know, you put who's checking in the middle and he goes up and he runs like a corner route or something. I'm like, dude, how did, I didn't get those opportunities. So, you know, there's so many things that you, that you can do from that position and, and they use them so well. And like you said, even at wide zone running, you know, all of a sudden you stretch the defense out, he makes the right cut, tailbacks off to running, and, you know, it's a 60-yard touchdown. And so, yeah, fullback's definitely going to have to emerge. And I love the style of offense, and I'm glad that, you know, they're, they're trying to get back to – I'm not coming out of retirement, but I'm glad they're trying to get uh, get the fullback more involved. <laughs> if you can get 10, 15 reps in there, we might be uh, we might be in business. No, I've been thinking of the Super Bowl when, you know, Patriots-Rams from 2018, James Devlin – the Patriots yep. just ran 11 personnel the whole game. And then they started running 12 personnel. The Rams had to keep an extra, you know, they, he like lined up in the slot. They're doing all these different things. They were running out of it, but at least it just creates a matchup. And if you can have guys, that's why tight ends fullbacks to me and today's NFL offenses are so important because 
there's not a lot of great ones. And the guys that are really good are George Kittle or Kelsey or, yeah. you know, Hugh Shrek, they just create these matchups that allow you to do a lot of different things and create space for, you know, for other guys. Big time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, especially the tight end position. And I know, you know, just even thinking about um, having a support cast for a young quarterback, the number one thing I always say is the best friend to a young quarterback is a tight end. And, you know, I was very fortunate to my, you know, rookie year, you know, Jay Novacek, you know, get to Kansas City, Tony Gonzalez, like, you know, every place, uh, every place I've been, we've had great tight ends because tight ends are always open because at the end of the day, it's, you know, a linebacker can't cover a tight end because they're faster. Um, a safety can't cover a tight end because the tight end's bigger and more physical. And it's just like, you know, you look at Gronk and there's a reason why, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he leaves the Patriots and he comes to, to Tampa and then next year we're in the Super Bowl. And obviously he, and in the Super Bowl, he was the common denominator. I think he had two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. And which is in, which is incredible because it's just a it's a it's a nightmare. And that was the thing, like half the catches that you see Tony Gonzalez make during a game was nothing compared to some of the stuff I saw him do in practice. I'm just like behind the back, like one arm up, like crazy stuff. And I'm like, dude, this dude is incredible. So uh yeah, that tight end and fullback is definitely a um um you know, definitely a lifesaver for a young quarterback. And so we, I wanted to kind of get into, you know, some of your career. And so obviously, you know, fullback to me is a very selfless position. I think it's just, it's something that you have to accept the fact that, you know, generally speaking, you're not going to get 20 touches because you can do a lot of the same things a running back can. And, um, you know, obviously a lot of guys play running back in transition, things like that. How did you kind of get started playing fullback? And then obviously, who are some of the guys that really stood out to you? You played a lot of great running backs. I think of Priest Holmes, AP, LT, all these different guys. So how'd that, how'd that kind of transition go from to play fullback and then, you know, blocking and blocking and playing with some of those exceptional teammates you had? Yeah, so interesting story. So I didn't really, my dad was a military man, 32 years, um, you know, Vietnam veteran. And um, so I didn't play like American football until my 10th grade year in high school. And I was a tailback. So, you know, uh, carried the ball, you know, all the time. And so when I got to Auburn, I actually went to Auburn as a tailback and then I was starting fullback, got injured, and then they moved me to fullback. And I didn't, I was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna hit everything moving. And so all of a sudden, next thing I know, I ended up starting at Auburn as a freshman at fullback and, but still had the capability to, to run the football. And so, you know, it's one of those things, it's like, you know, I tell people all the time, like my parents, we watched the Hall of Fame together last night and obviously my parents are in Alabama. And my dad was just like, son, do you think you'll ever get the nod to, uh, to the Hall of Fame? I was like, Probably not because, you know, fullbacks just don't, you know, I mean, if you look at a guy like, like you said, like Mike Allstott, not in, you know, Lorenzo Neal, not in, um, you know, Max Strong, not in, you know, I had what, nine straight years of a thousand yard rushers and, you know, just don't get that. But, you know, the, the biggest thing is like, I told my dad, I was like, you know, as long as I got the respect from my peers, that's the most important thing. And so you did, the backs you mentioned, you know, when I still get calls from, you know, AP or when I still talk to Thomas Jones on a regular basis or I talk to LT, you know, I went to his Hall of Fame induction. As long as I got their, their respect, then it's it's all good. And I tell people all the time, like, you do not sign up for fullback <laughs> to make it to the Hall of Fame because <laughs> that's just, that's just, it's just not happening. So, uh, but I, I took pride in it because I understood, I guess, much like my dad, who's a serviceman, my sister served 30, I mean, 28 years, uh, four deployments. So I think that fullback, is the mindset of understanding that that you're not going to get a lot of credit, but if you do your job well, then the team's going to have success, and the guys behind you going to have success. So that's really what you know. Once I got into that mentality of just understanding, like you know, um, I'm gonna make the block. I'm gonna have dirt in my face. <laughs> I'm blood in my mouthpiece. Tailback's gonna be standing there dancing, and like he's gonna be on the front page of the USA Today. And I'm gonna be trying to pick up my teeth from hitting that linebacker. But it, I took pride in it though, and it's something I 
you know, looking back on my career, I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Yeah, it was pretty cool because my, my dad and my brother both, my dad served for a long time, my brother's serving now. So it's pretty cool, a pretty cool uh, connection there. But yeah, obviously, you know, different running backs had different styles that you played with, obviously different quarterbacks too, and all these different, you know, types of things. I think of Thomas Jones, who's more of a bruising back, more of like a one cut, it's going to be patient, whereas AP is like, got every single trait imaginable run, i'll run everybody yeah i run everybody but we'll run you over and yeah. the clip of him stepping on like taylor's chest or whoever that was against pittsburgh is still oh, one yeah. of the craziest things i've ever seen but how difficult how much film and preparation and timing went into you know you watch a guy a teammate of yours alan fan could go in the hall of fame last night and, and you know there's all these different guys how much of a timing was it like i need to time this pulling guard i need to make sure i'm right i'm behind him enough that i can make a decision but i can also not have the running back too far in my ass trying to, you know, run through, run through a hole. How much timing and film work goes into, you know, perfecting that and getting that used to that, you know, during camp and into the season? Yeah. So, you know, I think I was so fortunate, like, as I mentioned that, you know, starting in Dallas in 1994 and seeing a relationship between Emmett and Moose and just how, you know, even in film study, how they would talk about different things and just kind of like communicate. And so then I understood like how important it is to be in sync with your tailback and understanding like what he's expecting from you. And like you said, the distance, uh, what the offensive linemen are doing, all those kind of things. And so, you know, I leave Dallas and I go to, excuse me, I go to Kansas City and then I got Marcus Allen. So I'm like, okay, great. So I'm listening and I'm learning, I'm listening, I'm learning. So then as I started to mature in my career, I used to make it a point that all the running backs and fullbacks uh, would come over to my house on like Thursday evenings and we would play pool first, just kind of break the ice. And then we have barbecue, we eat. And then we get into about an hour of tape study and just talking. And to the point to where like, you know, when I had Priest and I had Larry Johnson, two totally different styles of running backs. Like I knew for a fact, you know, LJ wanted just like, just hit that guy and he's gonna be a rolling ball, rolling ball with butcher knives straight behind me. Where Priest was more of a patient runner, um, more of a zone style where he's gonna read it, read it, read it and boom. So, you know, it was kind of one of those things I just had to through film study, you know, I knew exactly the mindset of, of both yeah. guys. And I knew exactly what they were thinking, you know, so much so like I knew all the offensive line calls, you know, um, still good friends with Will Shields, Willie Rowe, you know, uh, Brian Waters, Casey Wigman. And so we, we would just talk throughout practice. And even like now looking at my two guys going to hall of fame, you know, uh, over the weekend, you know, Fanica uh, and Hutchinson was not, it was the exact same thing. Like we communicated so well to where it was just like, a, it was like a poetry emotion to where I knew exactly what they were thinking. I knew all the line calls. They used to get pissed at me because I would yell out the line calls. They're like, TV, shut up. I'm like, I'm over there calling out like, you know, 5-0, 5-0. They're like, who else said that? I'm like, that's me. So I'm like, I knew all the line calls. I knew all the checks. I knew all everything. So yeah, so that's, that's, that's what happens. And so when you do it that much during practice, when you study film together, you know, uh, when the coach is on the round, the game becomes easy. And the game was like, you know, I mean, we, we played the Falcons one year when I was with the Chiefs. We literally, the first drive, we were trying to set a point because they were talking junk in the preseason. And yeah. we said, you know what? We're going to we're gonna run the football every single play on this first drive. We ran the ball every single play that couldn't stop us. We had eight <laughs> rushing touchdowns. So Priest had four and Derek Blaylock had four. Eight rushing touchdowns in one game. Destroy, I mean, that's like taking someone's a lollipop and snatching all their teeth that, out. That and is, they can't do nothing about it. <laughs> that is, the uh, it's like taking your soul from your body there. <laughs> and that, that is brutal. Because you can't, I mean, that's demoralizing. You get the ball running you like that, teams just want to get back on the bus and go home. <laughs> no, that's what, that's a lot of, I remember like, you know, obviously everyone has their different type of style of offense they like. And, you know, when you were with the Jets, you guys, it was all about ground and pound, right? And 
I remember, you know, just listening to Rex talk all the time and, you know, all you guys for that matter, talking about how much like we want to punish teams. We want to be more physical. We want to like, and it worked like it, it's something that, you know, obviously you don't, you know, I just don't, you know, get, you know, when, when the eventual ring, which is obviously, which sucks, but at the same yeah. time, you know, those are some super successful times. Where did, where did the end the home of the Jets thing come from? Because I feel like that's something that stuck out so much of like the excitement around the team being so successful and you know, waiting for that cool moment at the end of games and <laughs> stuff like that. Where'd that, who, I heard that kind of story. Is that you or is that just like the thing you guys kind of ra- a rallying thing for you guys and kind of call, yeah. you know, beyond yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Everyone always asked me, did I create that? But see, the thing about it was when I was in Kansas city, we always would be like in a home of and the whole crowd would be like, geez, you know what I mean? But then with the Jets, I think, I don't know who started it and I'm not necessarily going to take credit for it, but then all of a sudden, once it got rolling, we're just going to give you credit. No one's going to, yeah. no one's going to debate it. <laughs> and then Rex is like, "Tears, break us down," and that was like the best thing. It was like, obviously, you know, you look forward to winning the game, but just coming in that locker room and it's like, and guys are just be, you know, taking their tape off, whatever, whatever. And then the fact when we used to bring it up, <laughs> and I say, you know, home with the Jets, like it was, it was nuts. I mean, it was, um, you know, those, those were special times, and you know, I still have a great relationship with, with Rex to this day. Crazy enough, I cannot believe he's not coaching. Again, it's just like, it's weird. I'm like, here's one of the greatest defensive minds. I, I think along the way, I think he might have, you know, <laughs> pissed some people off. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but anyway, it's just like, you know, we had such a bond and we had such a uh, uh, a, a close locker room. And that was like the highlight of, you know, I tell everyone, it's like, yeah, my, my days with the Chiefs were great, but there was nothing better than the last two years, you know, with the Jets like that, you know, even going up to New England, obviously, as you remember, that earlier that season, we got a mud hole stomped in us and we just didn't even watch the tape. We buried it. We get ready to go back up there. The whole world thought we were going to get blown out. And to be able to, to pull that win out was like, dude, that probably was one of the best memories that I think I've ever had in my entire career because it took every last single person from the equipment manager to the lady greeting at the front desk to the person flying. Like it, it, was, a, it was a total commitment where the team just hopped on a plane. We were a band of brothers. And, uh, and those bonds, you know, I, you know, I had uh, Revis was my roommate in training camp and his birthday was just the other day. I still talk to Revis and like, it's just like, we'll never, you know, I still talk to Braylon, like we'll never be broken from that bond that we built, you know, through those seasons. And so, yeah, I took pride in it. So it was actually pretty good. So I guess I'll claim it. <laughs> That's right. No, I was going to say definitely claim that. No, those are, those are some awesome teams. I know from like a Jets perspective and, you know, 2008, it felt like you guys were really building something and, you know, maybe Brett Favre, you know, does maybe there's not as much reliance on Brett down the stretch with the bicep stuff and whatever. And, you know, that excitement in 2009, I felt like you guys obviously got on a run there, but that 2010 team to me, um, just the hard knock stuff and the fact that, you know, teams on hard knocks don't always seem to do well. And you guys kind of took that momentum and went right into the season and we're frankly, you know, one stop or, you know, one play away from, I guess, you know, getting to a Super Bowl. Was that one of the better teams you've ever played on? Because I feel like that of the three, like of the three Jets teams, I think 2010 is the best team, but you yeah. know, where's that rank on the teams, uh, the teams you played on, you know, th- throughout your, quite frankly, very illustrious and long career. Yeah. That, that, to me, that was the top. I mean, obviously my rookie year, um, you know, I obviously was on practice squad, but you know, the Cowboys had just come on back-to-back Super Bowls. We go to the NFC Championship game and we lose to the 49ers, and then I go to Kansas City and they win a Super Bowl right after that. Good luck, thanks, uh, good, <laughs> yeah, thanks for getting me out of there. But uh, um, no, by far because even the, the years and the success that we had in Kansas City, we would we would always be 13 and three, first round uh, buy in the playoffs, and then we would lose. So before I came to to the Jets, I had never ever won a playoff game, like ever. 
you know, and hence the same reason when Tony Gonzalez left and went to the Falcons, you know, everyone was giving him crap. And it wasn't necessarily saying he was, you know, pissed at the Chiefs teams that he didn't, but it's just the fact you never got a chance to win in the playoffs. And so both of us, it took him going to Atlanta to get his first playoff win. It took me coming to the Jets. And that 2010 season was unbelievable. And it was, I mean, it literally would have been a perfect ending to my career because I was like, okay, we beat Pittsburgh. We go to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl's in Dallas where I started. And I'm just like, you can't, you couldn't write a better script than that. Um, but yeah, it was, um, I mean, I still, you know, I still talk to D, D Wood, you know, all my guys. And it's just like that year, like you said, one stop, you know, we were, you know, one play. Should we score down the goal line? We win the game. You know what I mean? So it, it, uh, it's something that we'll cherish forever. And, you know, and unfortunately, it just haven't had a lot of success. And to this day, Rex still beats himself up because he was like, T Rich, you know what? My biggest regret, he said, I should have brought all you guys back the following year. But, you know, the likelihood, and it's tough. And that was kind of a decision. That was the end of my 17 years. And it was like, you know, the likelihood, unless you look at Buffalo Bills of going to, to, to a damn four straight AFC championship game is hard to do. You know what I mean? So the likelihood, even if we brought back some of the veteran leaders, will we have made it back? Who knows? Um, but that's a question that, you know, we always have to ponder because we were so talented and we were such a, you know, close knit unit. And, you know, obviously the team needed to get younger and you know, different things like that. But that's one of Rex's biggest regrets. He's like, man, I should have brought, you know, some of you guys back because once you guys left, the, you know, the wheels kind of fell off. Um, but yeah, that's, that's probably, that's arguably my best team I think I've ever played with. Yeah, no, it's funny. I actually was having this discussion. I had my Tannenbaum on a couple of weeks ago and I talked to him before about, you know, Kotri leaves and then Derek Mason comes in. Derek Mason was an awesome player in the league, but it was just like, you know, bring in plaques and then, you know, you got, I was like Braylon leaving and then you, it just, it was like, you leave and uh you know Damian Woody and all these guys it's like it kind of felt like it was like a changing of the guard maybe a little too soon like maybe there was one more run running you guys and it's you know it's, fr it's frustrating to uh I guess yeah. Chris Jenkins and Tice I mean I wish I wish Chris Jenkins would have stayed healthy in 09 because I think Dude, or I was 2010 just, I was just I was just insane. telling someone that if if Jinx would have stayed healthy we would have won I think we would have won it one of those years because I mean we were in practice like no one no one could block him so if he could have stayed healthy in one of those years it was, I was, I mean, the defense was dominant as it was, but with Jinx, it would have been a whole different level. I mean, you know, it creates, it was like in 2008 or 2007, like he could have won defensive player of the year. Easy, easy. And yeah. then Mike DeVito even said it. He was like, he's like, I'm not even doing saying this for like a sympathy or empathy, whatever the right word is. He was yeah. just like, if he's playing in, in that game in Indy versus me, he's like, he literally is a two gap guy that can also rush the pass for like, it doesn't make any it's sense. The same. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he was he was a uh, Darnold that you know that now obviously because he he was I mean literally the dude could like dance his butt off because he had like like dancers feet like he literally was dominant to where he could run through you but he also had the quickness to just get around and I was like and I played with you know God rest his soul I played with some great guys Chester McLaughlin and I played with guys who can get down like that but when I saw this dude I was like this is not even right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then the other guy, you know, you mentioned mentioned a guy, and I, I always like to ask, you know, people that were teammates with Revis, just you know, from the outside looking in, 2009 to me is just one of the most special defensive seasons. You, you know, you watch Calvin Johnson go in the Hall of Fame this weekend, and there was a graphic. Zero catches. Zero, yeah, you watch the graphic, and it was like he, against every other team, had like 80, 90, 100, 200 yards, you know, against those teams. And like the Jets was like 15 yards. And it was yeah. everyone's like, oh, like, well, I want to happen. Maybe they didn't target him. Like, no, Revis had him. 
lockdown and that was just like you know hall of fame guy after hall of fame guy and it was like i'm not saying he carries that defense because it's a team sport and everyone's got to produce but how how special a player was was Darrell just because i think fans appreciate it but i think from teammates perspective it's cool to hear you know how great he was Hey, Revis would lock people down at, like a tight, cheap suit. So, <laughs> yeah. now nah, it was it was incredible. Like, and funny, I tell I, tell, I joke with people because, uh, uh, you know, one time in practice, I think it was training camp or whatever, and so I had to motion out. So it's like, you know, um, I write like C write. So basically, I had to go out and motion it. So I, I go out there and and I got Revis on me. So I'm talking shit all the way out there, and I'm like, all right, let's see what he can do. Revis took his hand, and I was trying to get off the line. Right in my chest, dude. I was like, oh, shoot. I couldn't even move. And I was just like, I said, dude, if you ever hit me that hard again, dude, we're going to fight. But, nah, he was he was incredible, man, because it's like, you know, because it's one of those things I don't think that to this day I still don't think he gets his due because it wasn't like, you know, flashy like, you know, a Deion Sanders or, you know, some of these guys. But the thing about it was it's like week in and week out, like you said, you know, this receiver, oh, he's coming in. This is all he all Rex would do in the media be like, hey, Revis, he – Every Wednesday, Remus, he would put it on the board. Hey, you got this guy. All right, guys, let's go. That's all he said. <laughs> He's like, Rex is just going. He's like, look, this, hey, guys, this is the game plan this week. Okay, uh, Revis, you know what? You got this guy. Okay, guys, let's go to me. And, so, and he would shut him down. So, uh, nah, it was it was uh, something special to watch. You know, I was fortunate, like I said, to, you know, play with some pretty good guys. And, you know, I had James Hasty, um, former Jet. I uh, had uh, Derek, uh, um, Dale Carter. You know, I had these guys, I had Antoine Whitflow when I was in Minnesota. Revis was by far the best defensive back I've ever seen up close and personal because he was just, like I said, lock you down. And he was kind of had deceptive speed. He wasn't a guy that you just like, okay, he's a 4-2, 4-3 guy, but he was fast enough to shut down everybody. I don't care who 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 you put on, who, who was out there, he was going to shut him down. And if it was a big physical receiver, he had the muscle to shut him down. If it was a fast guy, a, a fast twitch guy, he had the quickness to do that. He, he was able to do it all. So, yeah, he's uh, can't wait to go to his Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, I, he, I just think sometimes it's the interceptions and people that if you don't watch, you know, some of the newer generation, I'm, I'm trying to generation shame, but it's all about stats. And if the stat doesn't match what you think, you yeah. know, Richard Sherman used to have a bunch of, you know, he's a guy that had a ton of interceptions throughout his career. But I think people didn't really throw it. Revis is part of the thing, too. It's not like. You know, it'd be the same thing of, you know, his quarterback wins versus, you know, oh, it's got 5,000 yards, but, you know, also 30 picks or something. You know, it's just yeah, exactly. examples. It's like you can take whatever you'd like, but this is kind of a, I don't know if this will be an easy question or a difficult question. Maybe you have an answer for this one. If you could have played with one running back throughout your career that you did not, that, you, you know, really the game kind of stood out to you, I would, you know, Curtis Martin's a guy would have been really cool that, from a running style perspective, but that's what I was going to say. And I tell Curtis just to this day, like, He's by far the, only, the one running back that I wish I would have had an opportunity to play with because, you know, I think our styles kind of match because he's just tough as nails. You know what I mean? Just like, you know, we call guys like that. He was a mutter. And it was just like whatever whatever the game called for, he was able to do it. And, um, yeah, so that's that's the guy, you know, obviously, I, you know, me and Bettis are good friends and I hope he gets well because actually right now he's dealing with COVID, which is crazy. He couldn't attend the Hall of Fame. Um but, you know, Bettis would have been somebody fun because he, he should have been a fullback. I'm like, dude, you were the reason why, you know, all of a sudden now you took the fullback. They put your big behind back your head tailback. So you took all the, all, the, all, the, uh, all the glory away from all the regular true fullbacks. But Bettis would have been somebody fun. But, you know, I got a picture actually of Curtis. It's up here somewhere. It's over my head. And that's one guy I wish I had an opportunity to, to play with and to block for because to me, 
you know, he's one of the greatest running backs in the, in the history of the National Football League. We'll get, we'll rattle some fun, uh, some, a couple more funny or, you know, fun ones. New York, obviously, you know, you live in, you live in New York and you play in New York. Best, best pizza or deli spot that, you know, it would be a go-to and uh, go-to in playing or now maybe that you, that you enjoy the most. Uh, you know, the best pizza spot is funny. I live, so I'm, I live in Long Island City, but right across the bridge, the Pulaski Bridge, you go right into uh, Greenpoint. Um, and my buddy, uh, um, Pauly G, Pauly G's pizza is like off the charts. And so the first time I went and I'm just like, yeah, I kept hearing all the hype and I get there. And before I actually knew him, it was like, oh yeah, it's a two hour wait. I'm like, what? I was like, I'm not waiting two hours to have pizza. Then I went, I was just, I finally got in and I finally met him. So now I don't have to, you know, now I can get, I can get VIP treatment to get in pretty soon, but it's the best pizza. It's like, it's, uh, it's all farm to table. Um, and you know, you get like fresh kale, you get like fresh ingredients and it's like, and now he has a poly G slice or he has two and you can literally just, I can hop in the car and go over there and just get the best slice of pizza that I've ever had. So now you got me one. I was trying to decide, I'm during COVID, uh, during the lockdown, I pretty much became a professional chef because I cook every day. Um, and I was trying to decide, I was gonna make some tilapia tonight, but now you got me thinking about pizza. So I might have to go to Poly G's and, uh, and grab the pizza tonight. <laughs> I was gonna say that, no, that'd be, that's, that'd be pretty good. And obviously you played in Kansas City and Dallas, you know, Kansas City is known for, you know, barbecue and all these different Dallas. things. Better food, Kansas City or New York? I heard this question asked the other day and I was, I was kind of curious now your thoughts, I guess. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a that's I, it's not even a tough one. Better food is obviously New York City. Better barbecue is going to be Kansas City. So, uh, funny enough, so two three blocks down the street, we used to have a place called John Brown Smokehouse, and um, Richard Christie from the Howard Stern Show is a buddy of mine. He, him and his wife used to live uh, here down the street. So one day, I'm actually I didn't even know I didn't even know who Richard Christie was, and I was at this restaurant, and um, the waitress was just like, "Hey, you used to play for the Chiefs, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." She's like we got the biggest Chiefs fan and him and his wife are actually here. Would you mind coming by and say hello? I was like, of course. So I go and I'm like, oh, he's like Richard Christie. Yeah, yeah. And not realizing that it's Richard Christie from the Howard Stern show. <laughs> it's like one of the biggest celebrities in New York City. And so he started asking me, he's like, hey man, you know, where do you watch the Chiefs games? I was like, well, yeah, I've been going to the Village Poorhouse, you know, the Chiefs bar. He was like, dude, the, the Chiefs bar is in Long Island City, it's John Brown Smokehouse. So the owner is Josh Bowen and he actually, um, he went to KU and he um, studied, I guess, um, like pitmanship or whatever that's called in Austin. So he has like the Kansas City barbecue and that's just like, I'm getting burnt ends. <laughs> I'm getting like, you know, the baked chicken, like everything. And so barbecue by far is Kansas City, but you can't, you, you can't, you, I mean, there's too many restaurants. I tell my buddies all the time, like when I first got here in 2008 and someone told me, it's like, look, you can, you can go to a different restaurant every single night and you will never even scratch the surface of all the restaurants in the city. And that's true. Some of the best places are like the mom and pop shops or the holes in the wall. And you go in and it's like, food is just absolutely insane. And I'm a sushi guy. So yeah, it's hands down, it's New York City. <laughs> you ever made your own sushi? I've, I'm trying to start doing that. I've been trying to cook a lot more too. But, you know, I've, been look, I've tried to buy this that sushi thing on Amazon. You could buy it. I haven't done it. it. Yeah, I, I need I'm, to do I'm it. <laughs> to it. I want to try it. But um yeah. best best we'll go a couple more questions here before uh before we wrap things up best trash talk you played with throughout your career either offensively or defensively uh you know i mean bart bart was bart was up there uh bart was a, a nut but i'm gonna tell you the best trash talker and now we actually work together with nfl legends is uh john randall so <laughs> john randall's nfl film stuff is mic'd up it makes me laugh every single time <laughs> so how crazy is this so we used to um so we, our training camp was in River Falls, Wisconsin. And they were in Mankato. So every um, preseason, we would scrimmage against the Vikes. 
And he would just be talking, I mean, from the time we go on the field till we get to the chow hall, he's talking junk. And then, then afterwards, now we got a friendship and he said, this is what he used to do. As soon as he realized like who he was gonna play against, he would get the, uh, he would go and like find all these stats. He told me this one story that he actually found some information about this rookie who uh, I guess he had bought like a new car and maybe bought like his wife a car. And John knew exactly where the car was all during the game, first quarter. He's telling the guy like, I'm still in your car. I'm taking the keys. And he's like, he knew everything about it. Second half of the game, the dude doesn't even come out of the locker room. The kid was scared to death. And so John said he got to uh, the Pro Bowl that year. And uh, one of his buddies was just like, dude, why would, why'd you do that to my rookie? He said the rookie was like in the locker thinking that somebody was going to his house to steal his car. Cause he had told, he knew, <laughs> he knew what color the car was. He was like, I know you keep the keys. Uh, someone's at your house right now. He knew to do address. He was like, someone's stealing your car to do when he come out of the locker room. So yeah, by far, John Rando. He, he talked. He did his homework. Time. My God. He tried yeah. to, <laughs> dude, he didn't, he didn't, you got to get it. You got to get him on your show. And, and, uh, and I get him hear, yeah. Like, I got to hear about that. That is some, that is an exceptional. I thought I was a good trash rocker and I played. Could you imagine don't even, a guy don't even come out the locker room? <laughs> if someone started, Oh dude, you averaged 12 points a game and like your junior year basketball, like you suck. Like I would have been like, what? Wow. You, you come Committed to the craft there. Yeah, he got it down. Yeah, by far. <laughs> um, the other, the other one I was going to ask you. Actually, interesting enough, Eric Holman posted this. Uh, I think on a story a couple of days ago. He's, it was Ed Reed or Troy Polamalu. Obviously, Troy Polamalu getting in the Hall of Fame. And Ed Reed yeah. um, is in. Who would, uh, who would be your choice uh, of better safety all time? I think it's a. It's, well, those are probably the top two guys. Him and Ronnie Watt, I guess, sneak in there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to go Ed Reed. It was just a. It was a different guy. Uh, fortunate enough to play with him here with the Jets, but. Funny story, we were at the Pro Bowl, and all week I was, uh, you know, they had me on, like, uh, on the punt, on the punt return team. And so, like, all week, you know, of course, you know, he's Pro Bowler, you know, Hall of Famer, so he didn't take zero reps. First play of the, uh, first first time to get punt return, he's like, I, I got you, I got you. I'm like, dude, you didn't take no reps, I got you. Swims the guy, blocks the punt, picks it up and scores. And I'm like, first play, I'm like, dude, because the thing about it, if you see Ed, like, first of all, if you see him now, he looks homeless. Like he had this big beards, crazy hair. And I'm like, you would never think that he plays safety in the National Football League. But when you see him walking, he's like pigeon toed, um, you know, just looks unathletic at all. Dude, that dude is by far the best. I mean, like the stuff he was able to do, like, you know, he'd be down in the box and then drop back all the way back across the field and get the pick. Like that kind of stuff is insane. So he, he's a guy that's a student in the game. Troy was a son of a gun to block. Same thing. You just never knew what he was going to do. I'm like, okay, his, the tendency shows that. Out of this, out of this defense, he never blitzes. All of a sudden, break every tendency, jumps over the uh, over the guard and makes a tackle. I'm like, dude, I, I'm going out. I'm like, oh shoot, he's bottom check sacking the quarterback. So, yeah, that's 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 a tough one. But yeah, I, yeah, I got to go Ed Reed all day long. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. There was I was I was thinking about this, and I actually heard this. I was listening to something earlier, and they were talking about. But to see how excited Bill Belichick got on TV, like legitimately beaming uh, yeah. when he he pivoted and baseball turned and, and picked Peyton, like. <laughs> And robbed him on like they were like they were in three and then like they were running a seam it was wide open and somehow he like ran it was just it's I've never seen Bill Belichick get that happy about anything ever. I that means that. you're pretty good. That means you have yeah. to be pretty good to get to get that guy yeah, yeah. uh yeah. get that guy excited. But no, the last uh last thing I wanted to kind of give you a chance to talk a little bit about you know some of the stuff you're doing with MVP and you know NFL yeah. legends and some of the stuff with Jay Glazer and uh which is which is pretty awesome. I think people should you know should learn more about. Yeah, MVP is, is something that's, um and it's funny because MVP has been around for about five years. I got introduced to it about a year and a half ago. And so Jay, Jay and I have been really good friends early in my career. 
And so he was like, hey, Tyrus, you should jump on MVP. And I was like, what is, he was like, it's, it's um, well, because the thing about it was in LA and prior to COVID, they did everything in person. So really what the concept is, is Jay started to understand like he's really good friends with Michael Strahan. And even though Strahan's parlayed his you know, NFL career into a very lucrative uh, everything. So he does everything. So I can't even say broadcast, he does everything. But he started to realize that when guys, when the uniform comes off, you know, sometimes regardless of how much success, how many Super Bowl rings you win or whatever, that you lose that sense of identity, you lose that um, your purpose, you lose that 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 your team. And so he started this concept where um, combat veterans and athletes would work out together. So that's the thing. It's like if you spend 30 minutes working out, you break down so many walls and then you're able to talk stuff out. Because I think as men or women, you know, who you know, accomplish a lot. Like, you know, you t- you got to be bravado. You can't like, you can never show weakness. You can never cry, like all those kind of things. So all of a sudden, you know, they started to realize that these combat veterans and athletes were just sitting down and just talking their stuff out. And so during COVID, when all the gyms in the world shut down, we started doing it over Zoom. And so now we have an East Coast, West Coast. And so uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, we do a workout. We have a, like we have, excuse me, Randy Couture, uh, we have a lot of like professional fighters that actually teach the workouts. And so we'll do a 30 minute workout and then we just sit over zoom and just talk our stuff out about, you know, our wins, our losses, the good day, bad days, and just things like that. And really now I think that we're getting more information as far as or learning more about like mental health and how important it is. Like mental health is not bad. Mental health needs to be fostered. Just like, you know, if you go lift weights, you build muscles. If you work on your mental health, you get, you know, you can get stronger and those kind of things. And so, yeah, MVP is the best thing I have going and the coolest thing. And I know you mentioned your, your brother's currently serving. So my sister did 28 years and four deployments. And the coolest thing about it, she, she lives in Fayetteville. We call it Vietnam, but she lives in Fayetteville and now she's part of MVP. So now not only the fact that I got my sister who I can never talk to her about what it's like to be on four deployments away from your family, um, you know, doing that kind of stuff. But now I can see her life change because now she has combat veterans that she's able to talk to about like, you know, the transition, you know, all of a sudden one day you're in Afghanistan, the next day you got somebody yelling at you at Starbucks and you're like, look, <laughs> you don't want to smoke. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's kind of that thing. You got to realize it's like, same thing for me. I'm, I was a fullback. And even though I don't put the helmet on no more, I still got that fullback mentality. And there's times I'm driving, as you know, in New York, Dude gets out. I'm like, dude, we can stop this car right now. If you want to do this, we can do this. It's not going to add well for you. I'm going to pull back. It's just like, okay, I can't, I cannot uh, hit anybody anymore. So I got, you know, can't do that. But yes, I'm so proud about the MVP. And then thanks for, you know, giving the opportunity. But my main job is uh, NFL legends. So same thing. We started to realize that guys would leave the game and they just leave the league and they feel, you know, regardless if they played 15 years, five years, just that resentment because, you know, it's just you you miss it. And no one really ever gets to leave on your own terms unless you're a Michael Strahan. You win the Super Bowl and you hold a Lombardi, you walk off the field. Peg Manning, who went in last night. But a lot of times it's like, you know, you get released, you get injured, um, you know, you just can't cut the bill anymore. And all of a sudden you feel like, okay, you're here one day and all of a sudden, boom. So the thing with NFL Legends is it's, um, you know, we have 27 guys that do exactly what I do. So I'm the Northeast coordinator. Um, for the Jets and the Giants. And so anything dealing with transition, uh, your benefits, your 401k, your annuity, your medical, all that kind of stuff, that's my job. And I'm the liaison that from the league office that actually supports the team to make sure our guys are doing well after the game. 
No, it's a, it's some really awesome stuff, and you know, obviously, I you know I really appreciate you know, talking about that and some of the some of the good stuff. It's like <laughs> that that John Randall story still is pretty funny, man. Like you gotta get, I'm telling you, I'm just, I can set, I can hook yeah, you up with him. No, you it's gotta good. Get that'd, be yeah. I, that'd be great. That'd be great. I. I'd love that, but it'd be, it's it just now I'm thinking about he probably looked up the price of the car and the whole thing and the wife's net then the wife's number or whatever. All it's, of that. <laughs> it, it's uh it's crazy, but no, it's it's good to you know kind of there's a lot of excitement around the Jets right now, and I'm hoping that you know from from a fan perspective, but someone who you know is covering the league that you know they can be a team that people talk about the way they were talking about you know that's just something on you know Sunday NFL countdown people were talking about the Jets for positive reasons the way that you know they kind of were for the the three years we were there and. Um, you know, make sure you, you know, you guys are following Tony on social media and, and keeping up with some of the, you know, MVP and NFL legend stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll have to have you on again, hopefully when, uh, you know, if someone transitions to the fullback successfully, maybe we can, uh, <laughs> we can talk through it, you know, and go, and go through it there, but uh, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, talk to you guys soon. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com. We make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.